This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to Innovation in Compliance. In this podcast series, I will bring you interviews with some of the leading experts who are changing the way practitioners approach compliance. Although the name compliance is in the title, it's really about innovation. And I wanted to drive the conversation about innovation in compliance into the 2030s and beyond with a focus on innovations for the compliance practitioner and the compliance professional. You want to learn how to bring your business into an innovative state and more innovative business solutions for compliance problems, issues, and concerns. This is the podcast for you. Innovation and Compliance is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, I visit with Ashri Cohen. Ashri is a fractional chief technology officer, and he talks to us about the role of the CTO in a best practices compliance program and around data governance. I know you'll enjoy this episode of Innovation Compliance. And I'm thrilled today to have Ashri Cohen with me. We have gone cross-border, as you will certainly see when he begins to speak to us, that he is from north of Texas. Ashri, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. North of Texas, a little bit north of Texas, just a, just a tad. Um, just a tad. Yeah. So, yes, I'm very happy to be, to be on the podcast, Tom. Ashri, could you tell us a little bit about your professional background and then tell us what you're up to now? Oof, technology since I'm, what, 16 years old? Something like that, 13 years old. Started developing, worked as a developer, had a custom development shop for a couple of years, for almost close to a decade. Closed that one, worked as an employee. I was very sad working as an employee. It was not a good time, but I was an executive, a technology executive for startups, right? CTO, VP of engineering, director, principal engineer, and so on and so forth. And then now I am a, what's, what is called a fractional CTO. So there's plenty of fractional CMOs and CFOs, COOs, very few fractional CTOs, which is, as you can imagine, does exactly what the title says. I'm a CTO for companies and uh, multiple companies all at the same time because they either can't afford a full-time one, but in most cases, they don't need a full-timer. So many of the listeners to this podcast, Ashri, are going to come from the corporate world, either in corporate compliance or other business executives, and they may not understand the role of a CTO. They may have never gone down and had a cup of coffee with their CTO. They just either call and complain or don't call and complain because nothing's gone wrong. So could you really talk us through what's the role of a CTO? The role of the CTO differs depending on the size of the company. So in a larger organization where compliance, where there's a compliance department, where you got to follow the rules and they will hound you if you don't. The CTO is very strategic, technology strategy, how will technology improve the business and so on and so forth. Typically, it's not even a single individual. It will be the office of the CTO because there are so many projects, so much, so many research and development initiatives that are happening, negotiations with governments and partners and so on and so forth. So it's much, much higher level. In a smaller organization, the CTO is the head engineer 
is the person who figures out and designs solutions. Sometimes we'll even code if absolutely necessary, if the company is small enough and manages all technology and all engineering. That's the CTO. So the CTO is your best friend and your worst nightmare. It all depends on how you, how many lunches you buy the guy or the gal. One thing many board members don't understand is how can they be involved in oversight, not management, oversight of a CTO, number one, in their role as a board. But then number two, how should they work with a CTO? What inquiries should they make to a CTO? Or maybe flip it, what should a CTO be ready to inform a board about? Risks is a huge thing, right? So we're, on a compl- we're talking about compliance. So let's, we'll stay within that vein of the CTO's rule, right? We need a lot of software to run our businesses. There's any corporation we might have 20 to 30 pieces of software, SaaS services, integrations, data that is flowing back and forth and so on and so forth. If you're in healthcare, it becomes an absolute nightmare in terms of patient privacy, finance, even worse. So the CTO needs to keep track of risks needs to keep track of, of, of potential violations to the policy of the company and how software is being used. And now with AI, it's giving everybody headaches because that thing is learning from everyone. And the last thing anybody in compliance needs is, is a power user asking questions about patient privacy by providing an actual patient name to chat GPT. And that is now being remembered forever. And so there's all of these elements that come into place. That's what they need to be able to answer. Hey, here's innovation, but here's also the risk. And how will we implement it? I'm actually working with a company. I'm actually working with a company now in compliance that, it, that has developed AI models to be able to scan what every employee does on their machine and whether they're copying PI data whether they're about to email it, whether they took a screenshot, whether they're about to email it and then flag it and lock the computer if that happens, right? To prevent someone from actually being able to do that. So it's a very interesting world, that's for sure. One of the requirements for a chief compliance officer and indeed an entire compliance function is to have access to all data silos within an organization. In the United States, the regulators have decreed the CEO must be able to have visibility across Mm -hmm. the company's data silos or data lake, whatever you might choose to call it. How do you help a CEO either accomplish that or even think through that exercise? So it boils down to the data strategy and the data architecture, right? Which Which should flow down from the CTO and the CEO working hand in hand. Their hips are attached. They have to work together because there's so much technology and there's so many options. You can you have a data lake. You can have a data warehouse. Where's the data going to live? Are you an international company? Do you need to have data in each jurisdiction and it has to stay there and cannot move? There's, there are technical elements that you can put in place for that. And so the data strategy actually has to be designed with both individuals in mind. If the chief compliance officer needs if the chief compliance officer needs access to the data, we're going to provide access to the data, but they're still not going to be have, get access to PI data because nobody should have access to PI data. 
right? No single individual should ever have access to all the information. That includes the CTO as well. It should always be a multiple individuals, but that's, that's it. So how should a think about after the data structure is put in place, actually analyzing the data and then getting the analysis back in a way that's usable for a compliance professional, recognizing that it may be a lawyer who's looking at this, who can't add two and two together. The nobody's accessing raw data. I can tell you right from the get-go, the CEO is not getting access to the data lake, nor is the CTO getting access to the full data lake. That's the reality. They might not get access to it through a BI tool that is highly protected and, uh, and provides only the access to the data points that, we, that they should be getting access to. But if the CEO needs access to patient lists, you really have to have a good reason why you need access to patient lists. What is the purpose for it? You have to document that 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 request so they're not going to get access to raw data that's that's a fact that's it <laughs> that's anyone accessing for raw data first of all what would you do with it the ceo would need analysts and engineers and scientists in their office for what purpose right unless they're auditing for what purpose the you brought up a great point which is the process and you yes. said if a ceo came to you and wanted certain information which you thought may have been EI data, they would have to document that request and actually justify it. Yes. And to my mind, having a business justification should always be a part of that process. Yes. And having a business justification that's reviewed by someone else would also be a part of that process or putting a second set of eyes on it. Mm-hmm. Would that be consistent with some of the risk management strategies you would advocate? I wouldn't, I would, I, yes, but it would never be a single individual. It would just, it would be a committee. So even in a startup, so I work with a lot of startups and I work with a lot of healthcare companies. And what I say is we're going to need to put a compliance team together, not a compliance team, but a data commission. You you want access to the data. Well, the CEO is sitting there, the CTO is sitting there, the CEO, and they're all going to ask you, why? Why do you need data? I'm not going to give it to you unless you actually have a really good reason. And then we're going to ideate as to how to get you the answers you need without having access to the data that you think you need. Because everyone's going to ask you, just give me the raw data, and what are they going to do? Copy it into Excel and process it? That's, we can't allow that to happen, because how many times has a laptop been stolen because there were millions of patient records on that laptop? That's not how it works. One of the biggest problems that we still have, and we're going to have this problem for the next generation at the very least, is the very, very low level of technical literacy and data literacy that people have. You don't te- they don't teach you that in traditional schooling. They barely teach you that in university. So when people come into work, they don't know, right? That's it. It, uh, it really strikes me listening to this that a chief compliance officer or a compliance function actually might be a great place for a fractional CTO to bring on somebody like you to help them understand not only what they have or what their company may have, but also how they should structure their requests to make sure it's going to be compliant with maybe someone else in the organization. And that you as a fractional CTO could be a great resource to compliance. Would that be a fair assessment? It is a fair assessment. I get hired often to be the right hand of a C, even if they may have a CTO already. 
too busy for the more remedial requests to, to really teach and explain. So I do sit with executive teams and I teach them about technology as a whole as it relates to their tech because the CTO is just too busy for them or there's nobody that's ready to do that. Everybody needs that level of literacy. I attribute this, the technical literacy to construction literacy. You may have never built a home before, Tom, but you know how a home is built. You get the point. You get the point that you can't just put a faucet anywhere. You need the plumbing for it, right? The reality is that the majority of the human population think that software is, I need a faucet right here. Can you just put it in? And I need it in three days. I'm going to have to rip up the entire house just to do that. And what you're asking me, the kind of water pressure you're asking me, I need to put in pipes, not a, a pipe. It's just not going to work. That's the situation we're facing. It also strikes me that this entire conversation we've had so far really could be called data governance. Yes. And that how do you counsel your clients or your companies or a potential client to think through literally a data governance strategy? Could you walk us through that? So... Thinking through data governance, I like to put in data commissions in place. And the data governance, yes, is a document, and that's how we're going to approach it. Hey, how do we share data? Are you going to be sharing data with educational institutions? So I've got one client where I'm doing, I'm literally writing a data governance document for them, right? 99% of the work is, it's mostly the same. Don't copy data, don't send it by email, and so on and so forth, which is also part of HIPAA and other financial and other government certifications, I would say, or limitations in terms of data security. I put in the basic elements of a data governance. Who has access to the data? How? Where is data going to be stored? Developers don't have access to the data right from the get-go. They will only see their test data and their development data. They will never touch real data. And how do I hide? How do we hide PI data? That's a really important aspect. I don't need to hide the medication, but I do need to hide the patient. Because if I have in the healthcare space, if I've got medication and medical issues, but I don't have the patient enough information to identify the patient, I'm good. I'm in the clear. That's the big, that's the big differential. And it's the same thing with e-commerce as well and credit card numbers and so on. We've all we've developed many mechanisms to eliminate that risk. That all goes into data governments. But one of the biggest things that goes into data governments right now is AI research on the data. I need to build machine learning models, everyone's doing AI. And, I, and AI in big quotes, really big air quotes here, right? Everyone's doing that. And so the data governments needs to apply, needs to apply to that activity, which where they need to share a tremendous amount of data, either with an educational institution, with data scientists, they need it. How do you even approach that? Yeah, in my case, it's, we have to build fake data sets on top of the data that kind of give you what you're looking for because we cannot share PI data. I can't have a data scientist process a model on top of real data during the research phase, but I can have them run it on real data for the learning phase, for the training phase of the model. But that's, so it does, it complicates and I, and it complicates everything. And I do tell my clients, you're going to be much slower. That's the reality. The compliance is perpetually putting the foot on the brakes while you're going downhill. You just you got to slow down. But once you're used to going that speed, it's normal. But if you're moving at the speed of light because 
you don't care about compliance at all. And then suddenly compliance comes in. Oh, yeah, you, you'll feel like you're working at snail's pace when in reality, you're just back to normal. That's it. You mentioned that you often work with startups. Do they understand the need to have this process in place literally as early as possible? Or are generally they so busy building out and scaling up that they don't call someone like you until either it's too late or something is close to exploding? That's the problem with data loss, right? And data leakage and whatnot. You don't know that it's happened until it's happened a long time ago. That's the thing, right? The risk is so far away and so invisible, they almost, almost don't think about it. That's the reality, right? And it's not just startups, even more mature organizations. Going to any healthcare company, into any hospital, I can guarantee you there's a nurse somewhere or there's a doctor somewhere with thousands of patient files on their machine, unencrypted, in a laptop that they just take out and leave in their car while they go to Starbucks. I can guarantee you that. And it's for sure, it happens. Case in point, take a look at all of the fines issued for data, for data leaks. There's always, there's every year, there's a couple of companies that get fined a couple of hundred million dollars. And those are the ones that got hit with a hundred million, not the ones that got hit with a million. So company, mature companies are so complicated in how they run their operations and the kind of people they have are, have that risk. Startups, a lot of them just don't see it as a, as an issue yet. It's not what their board cares about, even healthcare. They don't care about it. And also because their teams are smaller. If they tell them, don't copy into Excel, but the entire team is accessible to them. Don't copy into Excel. And that's it. We'll give you BI tools. We'll hide it. It's much easier to manage. So it's a lot less of a risk. But also in startups, it depends on the technical leadership. And so if the developers have access to your production data, you're going to be in trouble one day. And I've seen it happen. And I've seen startups... They don't tank, but they get in serious trouble because one of their employees copied the entire database and sold it to someone because they needed the extra money. It happens and they can do it. Let me go back to your ideas around a data commission for a data governance program within an organization. Where does the data, structurally, where does the data commission sit? Is it above the CTO, below the CEO, above the CTO and below the board? Where would you suggest it sit? It's below the board and it involves the executives, all of the executives together, because they all make the decision together and they all sign off on it. They have to. Now, it depends on the grade of access to data that is required. They're not, if everyone comes to them um, for something, they're never going to do any work. They're going to be sitting in this commission the entire time. So usually they sit on a weekly basis. They review the requests and the CTO needs to be there, the CEO, a data scientist, a data engineer from a technical perspective, because if there's a request that comes in from a, techni a technical perspective, they can say, we can solve that without any privacy violations. Excellent. Signed off. Go ahead and handle it because you can handle it without any privacy violations. The data commission really needs to come into place when you're going to be touching PI data. So we need to, we need to process, we need to run a process to identify duplicate patients or fake patients, whatever it may be. Yeah, you need access to PI data, right? How are you going to do it? That's when the data commission comes into place. So they don't meet often, but they only meet when you need access to really important information. 
or financial information or whatever whatever the class of data was defined within your data governance, right? You've got classes. So in healthcare, when I write a data governance, when I, when I write a data governance doc, I classify the types of data. So PI is class one, medication is class two, financial is class three. Okay, so you want financial information, class three, are you authorized? Yes, go ahead, knock yourself out. Oh, you want class one, class one automatically triggers a request to the data commission automatically they have to go in and have to validate it and ask for it. You have a term on your website I wanted to ask you about in terms of, it's, excuse me, it involves one of the services you provide and it's called technical due diligence. Yes. Can you explain to us what technical due diligence is? Technical due diligence is looking at processes, looking at the architecture, and even looking at the code of their systems. Because that's usually reserved for M&As. It's usually reserved for new executives coming in and they're like, I don't know what's going on. They call me, audit the heck out of my system. Get, tell me what is going on. Because I'll tell you something, the rules of the emperor's new clothes come in, come into place. I don't know if you've ever heard the story, right? Nobody tells the boss what's wrong. Nobody tells the boss what's wrong. That's just the reality, right? It all depends on your culture. In startups, it's a lot more people will tell the boss exactly what's wrong. But in older organizations, more mature organizations, that may not happen. And depending on the type of people you have. So I'm brought in to do a full due diligence. Where are the risk factors? And I'll take a look at, I have a list of about 100 items that I take a look at and say, okay, I'm seeing right away, right from the get-go. If I take a look at the first thing is, Access controls for data. Is it in clear text? Meaning I can go in and now access it if I'm within the office. If I can do that, I stop the audit almost immediately. I don't need to take a look at anything else. I already know that the, that the system is so immature, there's almost no point continuing. Like we need to now redesign how the system is built out. So that's technical due diligence. Where are the risks? Where's the skeleton? Because we, yeah. Could we take the same concept and apply it to vendors or other third parties that a company may do business with? We could, but it's very difficult because not everybody opens the door and tells them, here, take a look at how my sausages are made. It's a little bit, it's a little bit difficult. We hire third party companies because a lot of times we want to, we want a liability shift, right? So, okay. You're dealing with it. Good. So if you have an issue, it's not my problem. Good. It might be my problem, but I'm not going to be liable for it because I've shifted the liability and I paid you a boatload of money every month for you to take that risk. That's where there's a lot of SaaSes. There's a SaaS, there's a SaaS service for storing patient data and only patient data. That's it. And you store the rest of the information. That's just what it is. Ashri, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, I wanted to ask if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself the services you provide as a fractional CTO or really any of the topics we've touched on, what would be the best place or places for them to go? My website, ashricoin.me or LinkedIn. There's very few ashricoins. I can guarantee you that much. The only other one is a model. That's not me. And you're the one in Montreal. I'm the one in Montreal. So I'm not the model on a horse shirtless. That's not me. Well, Ashri, I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit with me. And I hope we can continue this conversation. Anytime. Thank you very much. This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Innovation and in Compliance. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review wherever great podcasts are listened to. 
If you are innovative or you have an innovative idea around compliance, give me a shout at tfox at tfoxlaw.com or you can reach me on LinkedIn. I'd love to talk to you about being a guest on the Innovation and Compliance Podcast. The Innovation and Compliance Podcast is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.